Mountain, it's good to be with you all again this weekend. I am so honored to be back again. This is like family now, right? After so many visits, you, you consider family, right? So hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys think of me as family. I think of you as family. And again, this is a great honor to be here. Grateful for Pastor Ben and his confidence in me to uh, be here when he's not here. And so uh, I also wanted to thank you guys for your support. Uh, we're a little church plant in uh, D.C. Uh, I'm D.C., Baltimore. I came from D.C. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, in, in Baltimore, in the, in the city. And uh, we're called Hopeville. And some of you have come to hang out with us and, and visit us. And I want to thank you for doing that. But also I want to thank you for your support because we have uh, a young lady who was uh, raised here at Mountain Christian Church who is now uh, a resident for us. Her name is Maddie. She's doing a phenomenal job. And uh, it's all because of Mountain support. And so we're so grateful uh, for that. If you have a Bible, we'd love uh, for you to meet me in Proverbs 17. We'll get there in just a second. Uh, this weekend, I am taking the baton from Gil uh, last week who talked about relationships. And uh, I'm going to do a part two of that. I'm going to be talking about relationships um, as well as we continue in this series, uh, Making Life Work. And part of making life work is uh, doing life with one another, doing life with people. And there's a reason why there is a loneliness epidemic that uh, Gil mentioned last week. Part of it is because we're not doing life with people that we feel like are with us or for us, or we're not in those close relationships or friendships that uh, make life meaningful for us. And I was thinking about this, and I reflected back on a really kind of interesting movie that came out in uh, 2012 uh, called Ted. Some of you have heard of this movie, Ted, very inappropriate language. I'm not saying I recommend it. Um, but there, there's, there's a, a key thing that happens in this movie. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is uh, the protagonist in this movie. Uh, John Bennett is his name. And little John Bennett, when he's a kid, he doesn't have any friends. Um, he doesn't have people who want to hang out with him. Uh, matter of fact, he's kind of bullied a little bit. And, and so John Bennett wishes for a friend. And so for Christmas, he gets this teddy bear that he nicknames Ted. Not very original. But he then prays one night and he says, oh, he wishes, I should say, I don't know if he prayed, but he wishes, man, I, I wish that Ted could talk to me. And the next morning, Ted be, begins to talk, freaks everybody out in the house, including John. Um, and then uh, they become best buds and Ted goes on to become this, this famous star, this talking teddy bear. But John and Ted become best buds. I mean, best buds for life. Even though it's kind of weird that John grows up and he's a grown man and he still goes around with his teddy everywhere. And that this relationship with this teddy bear threatens every other uh, meaningful thing in his life. John is still comforted by the fact that he's got this warm and unconditional support from Ted. By contrast, there is another movie that is one of my all-time favorites, and it's called Lean on Me. And it's based on a true story. There's uh, 
a principal by the name of Joe Clark, who is played by Morgan Freeman. And Joe Clark is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He is a principal that takes on this failing school in New Jersey called Eastside High. And Joe uh, Clark has a friend in this movie, uh, Dr. Napier. And one of my favorite scenes in this movie, I actually have a photo for you to see of this scene in the movie. And in this scene right here is Dr. Napier and Joe Clark. Now, they've been friends for 30 years. And Dr. Napier is a little upset with Joe Clark because he feels like Joe's methods are just a a little bit out of hand. He he feels like they are unnecessary, but Joe feels like they are. And Dr. Napier says, you're alienating everyone. Neither of these two guys in this moment right here feel love and feel supported by one another. And in this scene right here, and if you, if you want to go check it out, just put in YouTube, Joe versus Dr. Napier, all right, and it'll come up. But, but in this scene here, Dr. Napier slams his briefcase closed, and he says, Joe, you're going to listen to what I say, and you're going to do as I am commanding you to do. And then he walks out, but then he turns back, and he says, now let's go get some need. And it's, it's, it's. A scene where it's like all of this, this fire and this chaos and his sparks are flying. And, and this might seem like it's a little bit toxic. It might seem a little bit uh, disrespectful, abusive, but at the very least, uncomfortable. But you know what? If we're being honest, when it comes to friends, we all want good ones, Right? We want to be accepted. We want to be loved no matter what. And if we're telling the truth, we all want a Ted. Unconditionally loves us, is warm towards us, supportive, fun, our ride or die. Ted just with us through whatever. But also deep down, if we're being honest, I think we want a Dr. Napier too. Someone who pushes us to be better. Someone who sees better in us. But here's the problem. The problem is, I think we have an improper conditioning and an improper understanding of what real love is, which is the basis of what it means to have friends. Love is much more of a choice than it is a feeling. And some of us who've been in relationships for a long time and meaningful relationships, like, like we, we understand that there are some days where I just don't feel the love, but I'm choosing to love. Yet we live in a world where, as Dr. Eric Mason says, our feelings sit on the throne of our hearts. Meaning, We prioritize and gravitate to what feels comfortable to us, what feels like support. And what feels like support in our world is agreement. If you agree with me, then you are in support of me or you support me. And so then we surround ourselves and we insulate ourselves with agreement 
not necessarily love. And deep down, I think some of us really think and really believe that the love and the support that we're getting from people we would consider to be friends are just people who agree with us. Well, just to make it a little bit uncomfortable, I want to challenge that thought this weekend. And it's not really just me challenging this thought. I I think the scriptures challenge this thought for us. And we can find a few different examples throughout the Proverbs. But the ultimate example of this is Jesus himself. And I don't want to get um, too ahead of myself. But there are several Proverbs that talk to us about what it means to be a friend. And I just want to unpack one verse This weekend, Gil actually mentioned it in his message last week. So there'll be a little bit of overlap in what I'm sharing this weekend. But this verse is Proverbs 17, 17. One verse, here we go. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a difficult time. I want to just label this message this weekend just a simple subject what everyone wants in a friend. Just in case you were asking, I'm here to tell you what everyone wants in a friend. I think Proverbs 17, 7, 17, 17, I'm sorry, sums it up for us pretty succinctly. One sentence description, right? But there's one word in that sentence that is the key to everything. And depending on how we define and understand that word, it shapes how we understand what it means to be a friend. And the word is love. All I want to do is unpack this one word for us and how it relates to friendship. I stated earlier, this is where I think we have a little bit of a disconnect. I think we have a little bit of a misunderstanding of what love really is. But I think we do have, if we really, really think hard about it, I I think we do have plenty of examples of what love is and what love is not. And I just want to give us three quick things a loving friend does at all times. So if you're taking notes, here we go. Number one. What everyone wants in a friend and what a loving friend does, first and foremost, is care. Now, this is just the baseline. Like, I, you didn't really come here for me to, like, tell you that. Like, you kind of already know that, all right? Like, hey, a friend is someone who really cares about me. Like, you simply have to care for other people if you're going to be a friend, right? Now, when I think about caring deeply... Think about my baby girl, Journey. Journey's five. She's my little kindergartner. Man, she's, she's daddy's little girl. I got three girls, um, and this is the caboose right here. <laughs> and Journey is all about, man, the hugs and the kisses and the snuggles. And every time I leave the house, Dad, wait, 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 let me give you a kiss, and I'll see you when you get back. Don't get hurt. Don't get blood. Don't, you know, all these things she says. And it's so cute. But Journey's five. And so Journey, uh, she hasn't figured out the care at all times part, you know. 
She, she, hadn't, she hadn't figured that part because she gets a little upset and she gets frustrated and things don't go away and, and she's not as caring in those moments. But, but, but a, a loving friend cares at all times, not when it's just convenient for them. I think we've kind of confused this with this idea that some of us have heard of before of quid pro quo, meaning like I'm really only going to care, I'm really only going to put effort into as much of it as it benefits me, right? Like what what is going to be the return on this care or this investment? You know, we have entire relationships like this, right? I call them just very transactional relationships where we don't really care that much. We really care more about the return. You know, it's kind of like my wife in Target, you know? Like my wife, Erica, she loves Target, you know? She loves the way it makes her feel. She makes several unnecessary stops, you know, to Target. And she just, she loves, she loves how she feels when she walks in, and she loves the deals, and she comes back with more things than we need, you know? But deep down, it's a transactional relationship. Now, obviously, I'm being a little bit facetious, but not really. Um, but, but, but we all have this, right, where we want to be comforted, and yes, we like the benefits, and and, and that translates to care for us. And yes, to some extent, we want, you know, that to be a part of, you know, our friendships. Or we want to have, you know, some aspect of that in our friendships. Like, like I get it. But, but let, me, let me just say this. Deep care is not about benefits. It's about sacrifice. We want friends who care even when it costs them even when it costs them more. Those are the moments that really inspire us and move us deeply when someone has sacrificed on our behalf. This week I was just kind of taking a little time to relax and unplug. And um, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I watched this movie called uh, A Man Named Otto. Some of you may have seen this movie. It, 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 didn't, it came out not too long ago. Tom Hanks is starring in the movie. And, and you know, Otto is just mean. Like, he, he's a rough guy, you know. He suffered deep loss in his life. His, his wife has recently died six months removed from that. And, and he's carrying a lot of, of anger and frustration. And he's just hard to love. And some new neighbors move across the street. And a little kind woman named Mary Soul, you know, she, she's very sweet. And she's a, very, she's a good baker and, and a good cook. And, and, and she tries to, to love Otto. She tries to care for him. And, and, and he's, just, he's just mean. And he's not very nice. But Mary's soul continues to show up every single day, very caring and loving and smiling. And she's knocking on his door and she's continuing to just annoy Otto. But she is trying to care for him. And eventually, somehow, someway, she breaks through. and, And Otto begins to to reciprocate some of this care in, and, and he really sees that Marisol cares for him. And, and all of a sudden, by the end of the movie, Otto is a completely different person. He's transformed. But the reason he's transformed is because of the care of Marisol. Because it not only comforted a man who had lost his wife, but it compelled him to care. 
And that's what our friends do. They compel us in that way. And then we become brothers and sisters in difficult times, like Mary's soul became for Otto. So the first thing a, a, a friend does, a good friend does, the kind of friend that we want, is care. The second thing that the kind of friends we want do is they confront us. Now, this is where it begins to go downhill. <laughs> because we like the care part and, you know, the, the, the hugs and, you know, all of the warm feelies. We, we, we love that. But this is where it starts to get uncomfortable because the fun times and the feel-good times, man, if that could just be great and be like that every single day, man, that would be awesome. But we know that is not the case. There are some times when things have to be addressed in our lives. But where I think the problem lies is how we think about confrontation. Can I just give you the quick definition of the word confront? Look right here on the screen. To meet face to face. That's not negative. That's not positive. That's just neutral. That's all it means. But the reason why this makes us uncomfortable is because confrontation hasn't been modeled for us in a healthy way. And when it is done in a healthy way, it is actually a gift to us. One of my favorite business books uh, is a book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Really great book, and I have the opportunity from time to time to speak at organizations and um, government agencies and, you know, just uh, coaching and those sorts of things because I love leadership development, and so I get a chance to, to do some of that work. And, and one of the things that I talk about is communication. And, and I, I've, I've taken some of these ideas from Kim Scott in this book called Radical Candor because she's talking about how we don't talk to each other well and how, like, we avoid confrontation and it's bad. She tells this story, opening story in the book, about how she thought she killed this presentation. She's feeling good about herself, and she's like, oh, man, like, I just, whoo, nailed it. Like, it was awesome. And she walks out of the room, and, and, her, and her boss, you know, pulls her over to the side and, 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 and wants to have a, have a moment with her. And, and um, she asks her, well, well, how do you think it did? Oh, I, it was great, wasn't it? Her boss said, no. You actually sounded unintelligent and not prepared. Whoo, talk about an ice bath. But Kim Scott says that that moment of confrontation was transformational for her because she ultimately realized that her boss cared enough about her to not let her think that she had actually done a better job than she had. And what Kim Scott calls this is ruinous empathy. When we're so concerned about what others might say or think that we don't tell them or confront them with the truth, we just kind of let it ride. And there's a, another proverb, again, that Gil mentioned this one last week as well. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. We often avoid this kind of confrontation because it's more about us than it is the people we say we care about. But we need 
friends who love us enough to confront us and, get this, who have courage, consideration, and compassion because it has to be done a certain way. And the reality is this. We don't grow without tension in our lives, without discomfort and even pain. And change cannot happen without confrontation. What everyone wants in a friend is someone who loves them enough to confront them with the truth. So what everyone wants in a friend, number one, is someone who cares. Number two, someone who confronts. And then finally, someone who challenges them. Now, this is very, very similar to confront, but just a little bit different because it's one thing to confront someone about something. It's another thing to challenge them to be better, to give them a vision of how they can be better, to push them towards better. I've shared at Mountain a few times now, and some of you have heard or, or know that I have an athletic background, had a couple of cups of coffee with the NFL. This means my career was really short. But because of that experience and because of growing up as an athlete and uh, playing sports all my life, basically, I love coaching and I love to be coached. As a matter of fact, this is how I interpret in my relationships and friendship, this is how I interpret whether I'm really loved or not is if I'm challenged. And I give permission to people who are close to me to challenge me. I don't, I don't have anyone I consider to be a friend who doesn't push me. Now, again, this isn't something that always feels good. They're not challenging me in ways that always make me feel comfortable. But we all need someone to see us and hear us and push us and give us different, a different perspective. I'm thinking about um, in the Old Testament, uh, the beginning half of, of the Bible, uh, in the book of Exodus, which is uh, the second book of the Bible, specifically Exodus 18. And here we have Moses, who is a significant figure in the entire Bible, one of the most significant figures and he's having a conversation with his father-in-law, Jethro. And, um, you know, Jethro is rejoicing at what he's heard that God has done through Moses and how Moses' leadership has been so great for the people and leading them out of bondage and leading them to a new life. And God done, had done miracles and all of these things. And, and, and then it says the next day that, that Moses got up and he's sitting before the people all day and all night. He's listening to their problems. He's helping them, you know, uh, sort through solutions. And it, it's a lot. It's just Moses and all these people he's trying to help. And so Jethro's like, yo, bro, why are you doing that? And Moses is like, well, they need me. Like, they need me to help them. They need me to, to sort this out for them. Like, they're going through challenges. And Jethro is like, nah, bro, that's bad. You shouldn't be doing that. It's going to drain you. You don't have the energy to do it. This is what you need to do. You need to raise up other leaders. You need to train them. You need to expand your capacity by raising up other leaders because this is not going to lead you down a positive road. Moses 
listens to his father-in-law, and he does it. And we need these kind of relationships in our lives that challenge us to be better, that shows us, hey, you think you're setting the world on fire over here, but actually you're setting yourself on fire. And this is a better way to go. Proverbs 27, 17, another verse that was mentioned last week, and there's a lot of things that are being repeated. When something is repeated, it means that we should be paying attention to it. Maybe God wants us to hear this again this week. But it says, iron sharpens iron, and one one person sharpens another. Some of us have heard this before, and you know, we like the finished product, but we don't like the process. Can I show you what the process of iron sharpening iron looks like? Let me, let me just show you, right? Just take a look at this photo here. This is what it looks like. Sparks, hot, pressure, banging, like shaping. That doesn't feel good. That's not, that's, that's not exciting. But it's necessary for our growth in our development. And that's what iron sharpening iron looks like. And that's how we grow. Everyone wants a friend who will challenge them to be better. Let me see if I can land the plane like this. I've got a good friend. Uh, his name is Mark. And Mark and I work together in D.C. And He's a guy I really love and respect very much. He's best-selling author. He's been a pastor for more than 25 years now. Uh, we worked several years together, and, you know, there was a turning point in our relationship maybe almost a decade ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I, I was one of my first, I think, opportunities I had to, to speak, and uh, at least at, at that particular church um, where I was um, one of the campus pastors, and I was stepping onto the teaching team, and, and I remember walking into this staff meeting, and, and as I was coming in, uh, I saw Mark, and he was standing near the door, and then he, he, uh, he kind of cut me off, and he said, hey, I just, I just want to talk to you real quick before we, before we meet, and uh, he said, Josh, you're, you're too good of a communicator to use all of the fillers that you're using when you speak, all of the uhs and the ums and all of those things. You are better than that. And I want you to hear these words, and I want you to take this feedback and apply it. The translation to me in my mind was like, bro, you need to step your game up if you're going to be on the stage. That, that's exactly what, 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 what Mark was saying to me. And he was saying to me that I see better in you. And I received what Mark told me because I knew and I know that he is my friend and he loves me enough to care about my development. He loves me enough to confront me and not just tell me you did a, you did a good job. It was, it, it, it was good. No, no. He wanted to raise the standard for me. He wanted, he wanted to point out a pattern. That was going to keep me from being my best. I knew and I understand that he, he loved me enough to challenge me to step my game up. And here's the thing that I want to make sure that I acknowledge to you this weekend. 
It's not comfortable being a good friend. And if Mark was on this stage with me this weekend, you know what he would say? He's not a very confrontational guy. Matter of fact, he doesn't like it. It's not something that he's actually that good at, which is why I respect him even more and why we become such great friends, because he stepped out of his comfort zone and loved me enough to push me to be better. This is what it means to sacrifice. This is what it means to love at all times. This is what it means to do what best-selling author, uh, business author Jim Collins says, to face the brutal facts. The best model we have for how to be a friend is Jesus. He became friends with 12 ragtag guys who were not first-round draft picks. These guys would go on to misinterpret them. They would consistently miss the mark, even disown them, sometimes be confused about who he really was. Jesus had more to lose than them. It was more trouble taking them on, and the whole thing cost him his life. So Jesus said in John 15, 13, there's no greater love than when a man lays down his life for his friend. In other words, when we put ourselves aside and when we think of others before ourselves, that's what it means to be a friend. That's what it means to love at all times. It means that we're willing to be inconvenienced. It means that we're willing to consider other people's needs over our own. And it was Jesus who was modeling this as a friend that sparked this movement that we call the church that's still going 2,000 plus years later. Jesus didn't just say hard things. He did hard things. And this is what we want from our friends. And this is what we need to do if we're going to be good friends. And let me say this. Those 12 ragtag guys that we call the disciples, basically rejects that nobody really wanted on their team. Jesus spent three years caring for confronting and challenging these men. And they were compelled by the love of their friend. What they saw their friend do, the sacrifice he made for them. And speaking of sacrifice, when you came in, you got uh, these elements in this little plastic container here. I want you to pull those out, and we're going to share in the same moment that Jesus shared with these 12 guys, with his, with his disciples. And he got them together in this, in this upper room, and they were all sitting at a table, and the disciples had no idea what was about to happen. Now, the three previous years, he had demonstrated all these miracles, and and he had spent all this time with them. But he was about to demonstrate for them exactly what he said in John 15. 
what, what sacrificial love looks like. And so he took some elements, bread and wine, basically. And he took the bread, and the scriptures say that he blessed it. And he said, this isn't just bread, but this represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And he ate the bread and he passed it. Let's do the same. And then he took some wine. And he said, this represents my blood that has to be shed for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And the reason that this was to be done is because Jesus was basically saying, I'm about to be the ultimate sacrifice for all time. Let's take the cup and drink together. Friends, before I pray for us tonight, I want us to understand that this moment that we just had, which is a sacred moment that dates back more than 2,000 years, is a moment that Jesus is inviting us into and calling us, for those of us who follow him and who are his disciples, to be friends who sacrifice not only for God, but sacrifice for one another. That's what it means to be a friend. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Jesus who demonstrated for us what it means to be a friend, to care deeply, to care so much that he would come down from heaven to confront what we couldn't confront ourselves and to challenge us to live a life that is worthy, that is pleasing, that is acceptable. And then ultimately, pay the penalty that we could never pay for ourselves. And so God, help us as we are at work and help us as we are in our neighborhoods and help us as we shop and help us as we engage with those around us to exemplify what it means to be a friend. Lead us, guide us, strengthen us because we can't do it in our own power. Thank you for the example that we have in Jesus and thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. These things we ask in your son Jesus' name. It is so.